0: Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Jesus, Culture, and Life. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-17. through 17. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Today is uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and it's an important um, Sunday, and by and large, um, it has been our practice and our habit to address the issues and the subject pretty head-on, pretty straightforward. With that being said, it is definitely, I have probably, maybe it's just me or the way I go about it. Uh, It has definitely been the number one Sunday for for Pastor Ben to receive harsh criticism, um, which I'm fine with. I'm I'm not complaining. I can take it. I can tangle with you over the issue if you would like. It is not my intention to do that, but um, it's a volatile issue across our nation and so it's sensitive, and uh, people have deep um, scars and views and thinking regarding the issue. Um, but I am unafraid to address it from a biblical perspective now, in that with, with, with those things in mind i I, I want to say just uh, a, a, a couple of other things. by the way, I, I have a pub table because it if I sit down, I'm not as animated, and I can t- i can I could really be animated and so Kevin and Pastor Kevin and I have talked about maybe a lectern or some other things once in a while, mixing it up, and I don't know if I should or not so i I use the pub table because when i sit i i'm I feel more under self control. This is a very emotional subject and a very emotional kind of Sunday. For good reason. And so I, I, I want to say just a couple of other things before I get going. Because I know that there are women here who have had abortions. I know that there are men here who may have encouraged, supported, or even demanded it in a relationship. I know you're here today. Because I've been doing this too long. There are people, men and women, here each Sunday who have had abortions or faced abortion. Abortion has touched them in some significant way. I know that a message on abortion is painful for some people to hear. It's very painful, as it should be. And I want you to know that the purpose of addressing this subject head-on is not to make anyone miserable. I hope you can receive, I hope that you can hear and rest in the forgiveness of God because that is who He is and what He's all about. We are most like God, actually, when we forgive. And we receive forgiveness, the forgiveness of God through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ for sinful people like myself. And so I want this word of Jesus from my personal reading this week to speak to you and and heal your soul if that's you today. I want to just start by reading from Matthew chapter 9 verse just 3 verses 11, 12 and 13. Jesus said or Matthew records this scene. He says, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, so they're talking, the Pharisees observe something going on, and the Pharisees address Jesus' disciples, and they say, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because, in particular, in the culture and the day, tax collectors are the worst. <laughs> They're the bottom of the barrel, sinners. So then when Jesus heard this, and I find this amusing because he's the son of God, so why wouldn't he have perfect hearing? When he heard this, he said, those who are healthy don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this saying means. And And then he says the most profound thing here. He says, I want mercy, not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, Jesus is in pursuit of sinful people, not righteous people. Because he came to heal souls and to show compassion, not not to commend religious adherence and obedience. That's not what he came to do. And so, this is foundational for all of what I want to teach today and preach, in particular when it comes to tough issues and difficult things like racial harmony or the sanctity of human life. We engage like this, we're speaking to each other as those who have failed. We are building on forgiveness and healing. We all start there, but we don't stay there. And on that basis, we move forward and we call each other to a radical way of living. And I'm unafraid to address that the life of a Christ follower should be truly a radical way of living. And this issue proves it. I don't know how much time I need to spend... You know, people come um, and go in any church, and lots of new people have come to Vail Christian Church. But there are plenty of biblical reasons why, and even non biblical, if you want to say it that way, reasons why we know abortion's wrong. of pregnancies, including, or excuse me, excluding miscarriages in the year 2017, ended in abortion. That's a huge amount of, that's a huge percentage in a lot of abortion. Approximately 862,320 abortions were performed in 2017. In 2019, the stats show that those things are going down. In 2014, our nation peaked at 926,190 abortions. The abortion rate in 2017 was 13.5 abortions per 1,000 women aged 15 to 44. In 2019, September... 29 states were considered hostile toward abortion rights. 14 states were considered supportive, and seven states were somewhat in between. And the wrestling match continues state to state. It's unbelievable, actually. In 2019, 58% of U.S. women of reproductive age, nearly 40 million women, lived in states that were considered hostile to abortion rights. In contrast, 24 million women of reproductive age, 35% of the total, lived in states that were supportive of abortion rights. There's lots of reasons why abortion is wrong, and even pro-choice People know it's wrong, actually, according to the stats and the facts. A baby can live on its own at 23 or 24 weeks, yet pro-choice people say it can be killed even at and beyond this age if the mother will be distressed by its live birth more than its abortion. It's a staggering statistic and fact. A baby's living without an umbilical cord that is outside the womb is not the criteria of human personhood and the condition of the right to life. We all know this because of uh, recently of uh, people that we know who've been living on a respirator or even a dialysis machine outside a a dialysis machine would not jeopardize our own personhood. The source of food and oxygen does not determine personhood. The size of a human is irrelevant to human personhood. We know this because we don't make a one-month-old baby outside the womb vulnerable to killing, even though it's so much smaller than a five-year-old. Developed reasoning powers are not criteria for personhood. We know this because we do not make a one-month-old baby outside the womb vulnerable, and a one-month-old baby outside the womb does not have these powers either of reasoning, even though it's so much smaller. Life is not in jeopardy because of that reasoning power. Scientifically, we're human beings by virtue of our genetic makeup. The human code in the chromosomes is is there from the start. We are utterly different from monkeys and rats or elephants as soon as the chromosomes of an egg and sperm meet. At eight weeks, all the organs are present. Brain functioning, heart pumping, liver making, blood cells, kidney cleaning fluids, fingerprints formed. Yet almost all abortions happen later than that date. Ultrasound and sonograms have given stunning insight on the womb that shows the unborn at eight weeks sucking a thumb, recoiling from a pinprick, responding to sound. We've all seen the amazing pictures. I don't have to put them up. The Word of God says you will not kill. You shall not kill. But many abortions, abortionists admit that they're killing the baby human because they say it's a lesser evil women must have reproductive freedom there are positive signs i said since 2017 abortion rates have gone down but other stats have gone up it's staggering it's a racial issue actually african african american women are in the highest statistics across our nation for aborting babies it's stunning my prayer is this morning that more awareness would produce more concern and would increase as a result of wrestling with the issue i want to see some more social action from our church and from christ followers and from individuals and i want it to be seen in a biblical t- context So that you don't feel that it's incompatible, but in fact demanded by a biblical and eternal awareness of life. It's an unbelievably staggering issue across our nation and across our globe. 100% babies in Iceland born with, known to be, going to be born with Down syndrome are aborted So let's talk about truth that exists I believe from the Bible for action for action This morning 1 Peter chapter 2 I want you to start in verse 9 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9 follow along with me because there are many truths that Peter is going to present that we can draw from I love this passage of scripture he's so plain and dynamic as he describes life in Christ start at verse 9 1 Peter chapter 2 it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You once were not a people, but now you are God's people. You were shown no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians so that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. There's some other verses that we'll draw from right there, but... Those are all I'm going to read right now. And I want to draw the truth out of the text for the purpose of seeing what are the actions and the action steps that we should take. And you can do it with little exposition. You don't have to do a lot of work here. There are so many truths for followers of Jesus to be involved in our society and in our culture. And there is no excuse. Number one... We were once all in darkness. If you're a Christ follower, you were in darkness, along with the whole world. That's the first truth. Notice the phrase near the end of verse 9. Look at verse 9 for yourself. The one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were once in darkness. If you're a Christ follower... And now, the darkness of sin and unbelief and ignorance about God and His ways, it was the darkness of the deadness in sin, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.5. This is the condition of our culture and our society, and we were once a part of that by nature, and now we are no longer a part of that. The second truth here is God called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This truth comes from the same phrase in verse 9. The one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not by nature smarter. We're not by nature wiser or more courageous than those who remain in darkness. That's not the Christ follower. The difference is that God exerted toward us an, an absolutely undeserved and compelling kindness and mercy. He called us. He called us. Christ followers are called. The church is called. Paul put it like this in 1 Corinthians 1, and 24. He says, but we preach about a crucified Christ, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolish to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. It was the omnipotent call of God that wakes us up from the spiritual sleep of death and opens our eyes to the power and the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus. This is something we can't forget. Free and powerful grace alone is the decisive reason and foundation that we are able to see the darkness of our culture and be free in some measure from it. And our culture is dark. It's true. Here comes this third truth. God calls us out of darkness to send us back to, but not in. There's a difference, that darkness to proclaim His virtues. Look at verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of His own, that is God, so that you may proclaim... That's a really fantastic word, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. A lot of times I describe this as displaying the essence of who God is. And here, Peter says, proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness. That's that, uh, that is why you've been called out. That's why you are God's people, a chosen race. That is the Christ follower in the church. We exist to proclaim the virtues of God. This is our mission and our mandate. This is our purpose. This is why he chose us, to proclaim the virtues of God. This is the way God call, God's call came to us, freely received now, Let's freely give. Our witness is not the same as the call of God. But God's call happens through proclaiming the virtues of God. I'm just a behind-the-scenes person, Pastor Ben. I don't think so. There is displaying and there is proclaiming that we are called to. When we speak... And show God's virtues to others. We provide the truth that God may grant sight to the blind. And there's plenty of people who are blind. If you say nothing, they will see nothing. Faith comes by hearing. Right out of Romans 10, 17. And new birth is through the living word, the gospel. That must be proclaimed. Here comes the fourth truth. God wants his virtues known to the darkened culture around us. He wants this to take place both by avoidance and by action. Yeah, it's really crucial to see this here. Some want to stress one and exclude the other. All social action or all personal holiness the biblical way is both and, not either or. you catch that? I want you to notice. Look at verse 11. Here it comes. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. You, some of your versions might say strangers and aliens. Because this isn't our home. That's what Peter's talking about. This isn't our home. Our home is with Jesus. All right? So he says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to keep away from fleshly desires that do battle against the soul. So this is obedience and personal holiness. It is absolutely right and necessary. There are things in the culture that we should simply avoid and abstain from. Definitely. But look at verse 12. You can't end it there. It says, and maintain good conduct among the non-Christians, the people far from God, the people who do not believe, so that though they now malign you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears. So here we are among the non-Christians. Here we are proclaiming the virtues to people far from God, non-believers, non-Christians, people far from God, right? Here we are not just avoiding their effect on us we are setting out to have an effect on them with positive actions so why they may see your good deeds and glorify God when he appears over and over throughout the new testament the writers stress that we were created and converted to be engaged I believe relentlessly in a life of public good works. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says that Christ gave himself to us, look at it, to set us free from every kind of lawlessness and to pursue for himself a people who are truly his, who are eager to do good. Eager, hungry, motivated, intentionally. To do good. The term eager, "eager to do good" does not mean. Here's what it doesn't mean: sitting at home, watching watching wholesome videos instead of going out and watching dirty movies. That's what it doesn't mean. Eager to do good means doing and engaging in ministry and work that cares for the poor and feeding the malnourished, and housing the homeless, and teaching the illiterate, and freeing the addiction, the addicted, fighting crime, if you will, and befriending the lonely, working in the cause of protecting the unborn, and relieving the crisis of unexpected pregnancy, and a thousand other visible ways of doing good to others in the name of Jesus. That is eager to do good. My point here is that when it comes to our culture and all of its sin, we should pursue both obedience and action. Both purity in our heart and merciful involvement. Both personal holiness and public justice. If I were to sum it up, we should, with the mind of Jesus, be both Culture denying and culture transforming. The transformed mind is saturated in the Scriptures, and it will discern when and how. We can't just be people that just let everything just happen. Number five, here comes. It's a little complicated, but I want you to think through this word, subjection to cultural institutions. Like the state and places of employment and family, subjection to cultural institutions is not canceled out by our freedom in Christ and our citizenship being in heaven and our being foreigners and exiles or strangers and aliens on earth but our submission is put on a whole new foundation of submission to God. So we're talking about sub- subjection or submission. We don't like those words. You see the call to be subject or submissive in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Be subject or submissive to every human institution for the Lord's sake. Now, I want you to underline for the Lord's sake. It says whether to a as supreme or to governors as those he commissions to punish wrongdoers and praise praise those who do good. See, Christ followers are not self-assertive rebels who um, rail against the regulations in government and business and schools and homes, as much as I feel compelled to do that sometimes. As much as probably you do. Actually, Christ followers are eager to be supportive wherever it does not compromise our commitment to Christ our King. Remember, we have sworn allegiance to the King. I want you to notice the words, though, in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. They're very key. Once we might have needed to be subject or worse subject or submissive out of fear... Or maybe we are submissive or subject for advancement, or we have been out of greed or out of laziness, or because we believe that these earthly institutions really were our master. But that's not how the Christ follower submits now. It's for the Lord's sake. That's who the Christ follower submits to. Go down to verse 16, because you find Peter's interpretation of those crucial words. Look at verse 16 it's fantastic. Live as free people. Not using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but as God's slaves. God's slaves. See, we are free. We're not slaves to any human institution. So why be subject or submit? Why can't you? Why don't you do why not just drive at any speed that you want to? I feel like some people just do. Why not pay whatever tax you feel like? Why not come to class late if you want to? Why not bypass the hand wash stations or the name tag check in place and park in the most convenient place for yourself? Why not come home at whatever hour you please as a teenager? Why submit to a hundred rules and laws and guidelines in our culture and workplaces and schools and homes? See, the answer is God freed us from these institutions as our master and then sent us back into them to declare his virtues as his slaves. See, not the slaves of man. Slaves of God. We're subject in freedom for the Lord's sake. Everything is different now when you become a follower of Jesus. All is from the Lord and for the Lord. Christ died to purify us for doing good, and we enter the world and the culture to proclaim the virtues of the one who called us. And I would not say that is easy. I would not say that comes natural, but that is who we are, what we are called to, and our mission and our mandate. Here's the sixth one, the sixth truth you can draw from these, this text that Peter so eloquently lays out. Christ followers honor all persons, actually. And they seek to do it in different ways that are not the same for each, but appropriate to their roles in life. What do you mean? Verse 17. Honor all people. Love the family of believers. That's the church. Fear God. Honor the king. Fantastic summary. There is a special honor for the king. No doubt. When you swear allegiance to him, there's a special fear for God, no doubt. There's a special love for the fellow Christ follower, because this is where God chooses to live and dwell. But there is an honor for all persons, including the wicked. What does this have to do with me? It lays out quite nicely, according to Peter The unborn should be honored. Number two, let's simply not be passive and apathetic people, priding ourselves in our avoidance uh, uh, ethic, our personal holiness. It's both and, remember? Number three, let's live in the power of the grace that called us out of darkness into light, and let's turn back to that very dark and dying culture and honor all people, love the family of believers, and fear God. It's plain and truthful. Number four, let's honor the king, the one who called us to proclaim his virtues. And before I get to number five, I met with uh, the Hands of Hope organization this week and some leadership people and just some really great things emerged. I've been asking questions about this. This thing that Hands of Hope has taken on, it's a daunting thing. It's an expensive thing. It's called the Stork Mobile Medical Unit. So I just asked a lot of questions about it. I got a good brochure and some pictures and things like that. This is the Stork mobile medical unit it's an ultrasound it's got ultrasound machines in it you can get a pregnancy test it's laid out um and the this bus is being built by um hands of hope right now it's being built and it'll be maybe the largest mobile unit in the nation actually i can't believe it it's unbelievably expensive and when i was talking to uh to them, it just—it sounded kind of funny the way they said it to me. I—I I was sort of shocked, a little bit embarrassed, and um, they said, you know, we would. W- this is designed to be mobile and to one day a week be somewhere in Tucson, and um, we'd really like it to be out in Vail. We weren't sure if Vail Christian Church would be willing to maybe have this bus come. And um I said I'm going to give you a pass because you're new. <laughs> but absolutely absolutely. I don't got to ask anybody about this. We have a parking lot that I I believe with all my heart we should make available to this bus any day of the week that you want. I don't care when and, and, and I think that it's, it's the kind of thing that we should shut down our digital sign and let you put whatever you want on our digital sign, for crying out loud, 12,500 people drive by Vail Christian Church every day to go to work, and then, then 12,500 people drive back by Vail Christian people to come home. I said, absolutely, you should park it at Vail Christian Church. I'm going to be super upset if you don't. But it went on to ask a lot more questions. I mean, you guys, this is, it's magnificent. Look at all the stuff in there. But this is the part that staggers me. That just, I just, it just, is astounding. It's a the mobile medical unit itself, plus license and taxes, is a four hundred and twenty six thousand dollar expense. The two sonogram machines, plus all the other equipment, it's another hundred grand worth of equipment. Just the exterior stuff that you want on the bus, the wraparound stuff that just declares what it is and what it does, it's a $10,000 price tag. The total cost of this bus is $536,000, ridiculously expensive. But here's the other thing, the estimated monthly expense of just running this thing around and making it available each month is $16,000 a month. That's staggering. The mobile unit is going to help expand services to where people need it most. Instead of saying, hey, come here, the whole idea is to plan to be an active presence at schools and colleges and campuses and other areas throughout the community mm-hmm. A veil should be one of those. I asked no one. I got a habit of that. But I said, I, 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 whenever this is finished, start with us. Start with us. We'll do everything that we can. I didn't say this to anybody else, but I said it this morning, and so Mark is scrambling around here, and he put it together for us, Pastor Mark. I said, I'm going to encourage people to give. I think we should, I think we should raise several thousand dollars um, to help do this. I think we should put our money where our mouth is, and I think we should put action um, to words, and I think you should open up your checkbook and write a check today. And I think we should help support to the tune of several thousand dollars. I don't know. I'm not going to say how much um, to do this. This is one of, if not the ugliest issue across our globe. And I think it breaks God's heart. And we are a royal priesthood chosen to declare the virtues of god and i think something like this does that and i think it should do it in our parking lot at minimum at minimum Ah, i knew i was going to get all fired up and emotional that's how volatile the issue is um You should give over and above what you normally give, uh, but you should give today. Thank you, Lord, for the truth and the explanation and the declaration um, from Peter in the scriptures. Now, help us to apply this to our lives. It says everything to do with us, Lord God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the videocast of this message, please visit our website at www.valechristian.com.